Good morning, Idaho. Hope you're having a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we're talking about what's going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. Today, I have a little bit of a shorter podcast for you, but for something that may be a good thing. First, I'll be going over the temporary block of the Idaho school bathroom bill. Then we'll head to the river with a story about rubber duckies. Yes, rubber duckies. I know. Kind of funny. And then for our last and interesting story, I'll be talking about Idaho's oldest building. Hey, glad to have you here today. Please join me for the morning banter where I chat with you guys a little bit before we get into it. But if you're short on time or prefer to skip the banner, I understand. You can use the timestamp that is in the descriptions to jump straight over to the stories. For those of you that stayed, welcome. Glad to have you here with me today. As I said earlier, the podcast is going to be a little smaller than it has been in the last two weeks because the news cycle, thank the Lord. I mean, on the one hand, you know, there's less interesting stories. It makes the editing and the writing for this and everything a little bit more mundane. Um, but this last two weeks, it has just been super crazy with podcast stuff and news going on. And this week it was actually a little slower. So the podcast is a lot smaller, almost to the point where I grabbed, I think a couple of the quickies and made them into full stories. Cause I was sitting there and I'm like, I have like three main stories. Um, I kind of want like a little bit more than that. So there's, I think five, let me look here. I have one, two, three, four. Okay. Four, not five. Maybe there was one I was, I think there might've been one I was thinking of putting in the, uh, main stories, but I decided against it. But in any case, a smaller podcast, a little bit of a slower week this last week on the news front, but you know, that isn't always a bad thing here in Idaho. You know, we're kind of laid back and casual and that's fine. Perfectly fine. Um, same for my week. I mean, this last week for me was busy, but as of things that, you know, I can share and talk about, um, this Tuesday, I went another hike. Oh, I loved it. It was so awesome to get out and hike. I really needed it. On the flip side, Tuesday was super busy. I had like a meeting I had to do earlier in the day and then there was work and then there was trying to fit this in. And then, um, the hike was just kind of a good thing to decompress after that whole day and everything. We went, Went up with two other friends up to Bogus Basin. Um, uh, what was the name of the trail? I think it was Stack Rock is the name of it. Um, really, really pretty trail. It is a bit long. I think it's at like 11, 10 miles somewhere in that ballpark. But if you've got a family and some kids and stuff and you guys aren't able to handle like a 40 feet grade or uh, elevation gain and stuff, um, I would recommend it because it's pretty nice. It's pretty easy to traverse and it's really pretty. I will admit the first bit of it's kind of on the side of a, uh, I wouldn't say a cliff, but the mountain there. So if you do have little, little ones, you might want to keep a really close eye on them there. But once you get past that part, it gets into nice timber. And um, even if some kid kind of got off towards the edge or whatever, it, they'd just fall a little bit and it'd be fine. Um, but if for a family hike, really, really good. You could just cut it short. I know at the total length is like 11 to 10 miles. But if you just decide to go a little bit of the ways in and then turn and come back, that's perfectly fine. But in either case, it was a really pretty hike. I would highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. I posted two of the photos on the Twitter. If you follow me over there, um, of stuff, there was the sunset. We actually, I kind of got almost caught out there in the dark, which was kind of funny, but thankfully we made it back just the car as the last gasps of life were coming from the sun and it made for a wonderful evening plus the sunset and everything. But overall, I didn't have a lot. Of, I would have showed more photos on Twitter, but I just didn't take a ton. I just enjoyed the hike. And sometimes you just don't pull the camera out and you just enjoy the experience. I think sometimes all of us, including myself very much so with like a podcast and social media and all that, 
we'll get caught up on taking photos and stuff. And I've tried to, as I've gotten older, to be a lot better to be like, no, no, it's it's good to experience. Photos are good, um, but photos are good when they don't take you away from the moment, but they add the moment or allow you to capture the moment that's occurring. So kind of that balance that exists there. Also, kind of on the topic of social media, thank you to all the people over on Rumble. As I kind of alluded to last week, um, the podcast I posted there over on Rumble. If you're curious of what that is, you can go look it up or listen to last week's Morning Banter. Um, But it's doing really well and it's continuing to do well. Um, For anyone listening over there, thank you. I'm glad that you guys are all enjoying it. Hopefully, it is helping you guys to know more about Idaho and hopefully get involved with more local events and stuff. It's always my hope and prayer with this podcast, um, but thank you to all the people over there listening and watching. Um, this might sound cringe and stuff, but it helps over in Rumble and it helps on any of the platforms. It goes for any of you. If you guys want to like the video, um, I think Rumble has like a Rumble button or something. It's basically like a like. Anytime you like the content, it does help a little bit. I've noticed you get a little bump in engagement and then the algorithm will kind of punch a little bit. Because the most difficult part with the podcast is um, trying to get it out into people. It's one thing if you you know get the podcast, someone watches it, and they're like, yeah, it's not for me. That's fair. I totally understand your choice. If you don't like the format or you don't like the content, I get it. Move on. But um, since the channel is so small right now and different stuff, um, you guys liking content and sharing around helps a ton to try to get it in front of more people who might not otherwise not even know that the channel exists. With that said, thank you for all the people over the Rumble. It means a lot. Also, kind of keeping with that a little bit, um, there are going to be some visual changes coming to the podcast in the coming weeks and months mainly because of the fact I got a new audio slash visual editing software. You guys can go look it up. The name of it's uh, Descript, if I remember correctly. And I'm really excited to be toying with it. The way that they have it like designed is that you get to edit, not in a timeline basis, which is what most of the stuff I've done with DaVinci or other products, Audacity and OBS and things kind of run in. But you get to edit it in like a text form. You get to edit um, your visual and your audio like you would on a Google Doc or something. So in theory, I should be able to get this edited quicker. Um, It will also hopefully allow me to add more visual elements into it and stuff. So you might see some of those bits kind of peaking and showing in different parts of the podcast in the coming weeks and months. I'm having to relearn it because it's not quite like anything else I've toyed with. I know when I jumped on was using Audacity, I kind of had a little bit of a background in DaVinci and so timelines and things. Anytime you pick up a new software, and I bet any of you that have done any audio or visual editing or anything know what I mean. It's kind of a little bit of a learning experience. I mean, some of them are very similar. Like if you handed me Lightroom or if you handed me Adobe Premiere, I probably would be able to pick it up fairly quickly. Um, but this is just so much different. I'm hoping it'll allow me to edit faster. That's the hope and prayer. And that means I'll be able to make more content more effectively and quickly for you. Um, and also add more of those interesting visual elements. It allows me to do a lot more, shall we say. Um, and so you'll kind of see that poking out a little bit, um, on the event episode. I'm going to use that as kind of my test bed, shall we say, for toying with that software, because the event episode is like 20, under 20 minutes, at least usually. And so that's kind of easy in the sense of, okay, cool, it's 20 minutes, but if I spend an hour editing it, then it should be good rather than trying to experiment with that on the main podcast and the timeline and trying to get things off. Anywho, um, you might notice some new things over there. Um, Please let me know if you guys do or don't like them. Um, Kind of adding more of a video element into it. I think uh, not podcast. Um, I think Spotify kind of has that. So hopefully at maybe some point, 
All the content I will make will be in a video form rather than a purely audio form. And then depending on the platform you are, you can kind of see the video form or not. I don't know. We'll see. Bear with me there. Um, let me know if there's any fixes or things that you see that I've done wrong and just message me and stuff. Just trying to figure it out. Probably be just some new elements coming. I think you guys will really enjoy it, but bear with me as I'm trying to learn and figure out this new little software here. With that said, that's all I have to share for the morning banter here. So we will uh, wrap it up here and head into the news. Starting off here with our first story and probably our most controversial one, Senate Bill 1100, Idaho bathroom bill, temporary blocked. This comes by KTVB7 by Tracy Binghurst. For those of you that remember, during the legislative session here in Idaho, there are many controversial bills put forward and some even passed. Well, one of those controversial ones that was passed was Senate Bill 1100. It was passed by the Idaho legislature in March and was set to go into effect on July 1st. However, a lawsuit was filed by Landa Legal on the behalf of transgender students and LGBTQ high school organizations. The Sexuality and Gender Alliance, or SAGE, resulted in a temporary restraining order that is now preventing the state from enforcing this law. The lawsuit argued that Senate Bill 1100 is unconstitutional and violates the equal protection rights of transgender students. The bill prevents students from using any bathroom other than their actual gender. It also enables students to sue the school for a minimum of $5,000 if a transgender student using a bathroom that differs with their actual sex is in a bathroom with them. In his ruling, Judge David Nye said Senate Bill 1100 would, quote, change the school-by-school status quo, end quote, and would have a, quote, significant impact, end quote, on transgender students. He also said that the bill is likely unconstitutional because it, quote, singles out transgender students for different treatment, end quote. The temporary restraining order is a setback for those fighting transgenderism in Idaho and the fight to protect women at school. It also shows both a dedication from Idaho lawmakers to stand up for what is true and shows the lengths to which others are fighting them. For any of you that have listened for a decent amount of time to the podcast, I lean very right, shall we say. I mean, I wouldn't call myself extremely right-leaning, but I am conservative, we'll put it that way. Um, and so seeing this, for me personally, I think is it's a sad thing. It's a speed bump. I think... At the end of the day, the state will win out on this one, mainly for the fact, and I think there's a lot of Idahoans that feel this way. You have, I think, the Boise area and then kind of Sun Valley area that does lean liberal, and it's like, it's fine. Just let them do it. It's fine. You know, there isn't such a thing as boy or girl. There's many different genders, and trying to do that is discriminatory, and you're trying to divide people based on their preferences and different things and stuff. And, you know, in a small way, that argument, I think, has a place. It does. It really does. And for all the conservative people, bear with me. I'll, I'll kind of tie it together there. If you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, yeah, there's different gender stuff. Why are we discriminating based on these people's, air quotes, preferences and different things? That is discriminatory. That's not good. And with that, yeah, I think that whole kind of syllogism to a point is good. But, but... Um, where it starts to fall apart is what we're talking about. We're not talking about a preference. That whole argument ends, that whole argument hinges on the idea of preference. Preference assumes that it's something that's like, okay, do you want your house blue or you want your house green? Well, it's a preference. It doesn't objectively change that the house is a house. 
it doesn't objectively change the paint because the paint is paint. The things are what they are and not something else, as we learn in logic. But in this situation, um, you're trying to say, hey, my preference, my feelings, what I think about myself can directly change the dictates of who or what I am, which can't happen. Who you are is who you are and what you are is what you are. And no matter how much you think or feel, you cannot change the objective reality of if you're a boy or a girl. Also on that premise, and arguing from a Christian perspective as I do often on this podcast, um, God made us male and female, and he made us both of those roles wonderful, and they have complementary elements to them. And when we fulfill those God-given roles, that design that each one of us has, we both as individuals, have happier lives, I would argue, and to society in a whole functions better. So, with that said, if government and our legislative bodies and city councils and things, if their goal is to be passing laws that are for the betterment, that are for the cohesiveness of society, that make society better, that makes our societies and our communities stronger, and build them up to have happy families, relationships, and communities, then the best thing we can do is try to fight ideologies and things that tear the family apart, that tear that joy, that bring chaos and disorder and sadness to our communities. So, all that to say, that's my argument against transgenderism in a small nutshell. Um, on a more practical level, the Idaho public, I would argue, has voted. They told the representatives, we don't want this. You voted in the representatives you want. You can see that Idaho legislature is getting more and more conservative in the sense against certain of the ideologies and the people that are getting elected. They're kind of running on these premises of no more of this crazy, weird things in schools, um, no more of this LGBTQ things in Idaho. And so people voted those representatives those representatives then wrote a law and then voted and passed a law that blocked this, which is the will of the public. It's the will of the majority of Idaho in its writing, right? Granted, majority doesn't always make something right, but that's a different discussion. And now the courts are trying to hold up something that the Idaho public wants because some outside interest is trying to fight it. Now, in all credit, um, not a complete outside interest from what I remember reading the article. There's like a local student or some local LGBTQ stuff in Boise and they're trying to fight it. Um, but the, what I mean by outside source is the Lambda Legal. I don't think it's based here in Idaho. They're bringing outside muscle. I think the Sage, if I remember as well, is an outside organization. They aren't here in Idaho that is trying to fight something that the Idaho people and it's Idaho legislature in which I would argue the vast majority of Idaho doesn't want. Um, hopefully, the upper hand of the state will come that will back um, what our representatives have voted for, and I would argue that most of Idaho has voted for. I can hear, and in loving respect, I understand all the people in Boise and all the people in Sun Valley and more conservative areas. Well, what about us? What about us? And I'm like... I, this is government. You you have back and forth. There are always going to be people on one extreme. You're going to have one people that are going to be like, you know, we need to have a pure race or something, some racist ideology on the really far end of one side. And then you have another side of people that are like, well, yeah, we need to allow abortions, you know, up to the moment of birth. And, you know, you're trying to go to these super, super, super extremes. And you're always going to have that. Um, and there's always going to be kind of, I would argue in politics, some people that lose out and some people that wins. But that that is the nature of politics. I would argue that there is a little bit of conflict. There is a bit of back and forth. 
where one side loses, one side wins, and that's the, I would say, in politics, and maybe it's the wrong term, but it's the term that's coming to mind, the free market of ideas as they go back and forth and they fight, and then hopefully through that um, rigor, through that conflict um, as a state and as a country, um, we can refine laws that better and more correctly align to what is reality and what is true. Anywho, with that out of the way, we'll move on to the next one here. A little bit of a lighter note coming off that. Idaho Falls Great Rubber Ducky Race. This comes by the East Idaho News by Andrea Olson. So I saw this on social media that other states are doing this, not just Idaho, but this is still super cool and funny. Last weekend, the Great Snake River Greenbelt Ducky Race happened in Idaho Falls. The Ducky Race is a fundraiser for the Idaho Falls Rotary Club and has been going on for 32 years. This year, the event was held on Saturday, August 12th. Plus, over the years, the event has raised more than $6 million for the Rotary Club. To participate, people could adopt a rubber ducky for $5, a reasonable price. The first ducky to float past the finish line won the grand prize of a 2023 Kia Seltos. Hopefully, I'm getting that name right. And then second place won a 2023 Suzuki King Quad 4-wheeler. And then third place won a $500 gift card to the Falls Food Pantry. Plus, there were prizes for the first 100 duckies to cross the finish line. So there's plenty of room for people to win prizes. In addition to the ducky race, there was also a car show, boat race, motorcycle show, national guard display, live camels, <gasps> jump rope team, food and craft vendors. Man, a lot of cool stuff. Then the ducky drop for the whole brace took place at 4 p.m. just north of the falls overlooked near the Best Western Driftwood Inn. The event was free to attend and a great way to spend time with family and friends. Which, you know, kind of bringing some outside contents, I've heard of a lot of other cities and stuff that kind of have like rivers and things that go through them. They kind of have an event. I think maybe it's Chicago. I feel like it's somewhere in the like Great Lakes area. Um, for St. Patrick's Day, they'll like dye the river green or whatever. Maybe that's New York. I don't, I, I can't remember. It's one of those cities, some big city back east. And, you know, I always thought that was cool. And there's different events that different cities will kind of do. And it's cool to see that we have something like that as well in Idaho. Granted, a little bit funnier, which I mean, I think is fitting for Idaho. I think as Idahoans, we have a pretty good sense of humor, wouldn't you say? <laughs> but in any case, super fun to see. I'm sad that I missed this. I was like trying to be really on it, you know, with event episode and I didn't report on this. And then I was sitting here this weekend kind of typing up for the news articles and stuff. And then I found this and I was like, dadgummit, I wish I had announced that. So if I missed that, my apologies to people. I'm so sorry that I didn't get that up there if you were interested about that. And you're like, Tyler, you have a whole event episode. My bad, just one person. Um, but in any case, it sounds cool. Um, hopefully those that won the prizes are very happy with what they got. Um, I don't know what the prizes they were doing for the other hundred duckies, but hopefully they were good as well. I didn't know it was quite as large an event as it was like as I was writing it there and kind of really wait, there's a car show, there's like a motorcycle, National Guard display, you know, just a lot of cool things. It sounds like there's like a really big event for that. If you live overnight of falls or have grown up there, is it something that is like really big and you've done kind of like I know here in Boise or uh, shall I say with like McCall, you've got the Winter Festival, you've got the Emmett Cherry Festival, these things that, 
you know, growing up here in Idaho, I can remember just being like, yeah, you have those kind of seasonal things in the area that you go to is the Idaho Falls kind of Ducky Festival, one of those, or just kind of a fun thing that kind of happens off and on. And sometimes some years is bigger and some years it's smaller. I'm curious. Hopefully they also did it for COVID. That was one thing that was running through my brain was, you know, did they do it for COVID? Because, you know, you can have some social distancing, you know, it's the duckies, you can just watch them race or did they cancel it? I really hope they didn't because it just sounds like such a fun thing. And I can just imagine kids running along the edge of the river there being like, I can see it, I can see it, I see it, ducky, no, it's going behind, ah! (laughs) And kind of the hilariousness that kids can be rather um, competitive, shall we say, rather than the adults and us can sometimes sit back and be like, no, this is just fun, this is enjoyable, we can see what's going to happen here. (laughs) But in any case, I thought it was something really funny to share and I had no idea it happened in Idaho. Moving into our next story, a little bit more of a day-to-day mundane thing, but still something I think a lot of you were going to be interested in. Treasure Valley's new bus route plan has been released. This comes by the Boise Dev by Gretchen Parsons. So one of the many frustrations for the Treasure Valley is traffic, and for those from out of state is a lack of a public transit system. Well, this last week, the Valley Regional Transit released its new bus network redesign plan, VRT, which just abbreviation for Valley Regional Transit, their plan which cuts and consolidates less used routes and makes modifications to others. The agency says the changes are necessary to save money in the face of rising operating costs. One of the biggest changes they're making is the discontinuation of the Harris Ranch via Park Center and Roosevelt route. Riders who need to get to Harris Ranch will have to use the Broadway route, which has been adjusted to improve transfers. They can also use a Lyft Transit connection, which VRT has partnered with to offer $2 rides to VRT bus stops. The Fairview slash Eustick route would be consolidated with the improved Fairview slash Town Square route, which would include 15-minute bus arrivals. The Caldwell Express will be eliminated, but however, the Nampa slash Meridian Express would be adjusted to include Caldwell, so Caldwell wouldn't be entirely out of the equation. The plan also adds a new service to the Orchard Street Cloverdale Boulevard in Caldwell and the South Caldwell area. Additionally, on-demand services would be expanded in Canyon County. The inner county and cross-town connections would be modified with more north-south routes. And then also a new beyond-access service would allow qualifying older adults and people with disabilities to get free trips between Ada and Canyon counties. For those interested, people can view the full proposal and provide feedback. And VRT will meet on October 2nd to review public comments and consider the final proposal. The agency plans to implement the service changes by next summer. You guys aren't going to hear any of it because I'm probably going to cut it out. But oh my word, with all the different street names and stuff, there's going to be so much editing to do on this section. <laughs> It'll sound clean, but oh my word, I had to re-read a couple of things. It's just a tongue twister. In any case, um, I will admit as an Idahoan, public transit is one of those things that I've heard some people that have like traveled out of state that are like, yeah, we're kind of behind the ball there. We need it and yada yada. And then there's me on the other side where it's, I don't know. On the one hand, I think public transit is a good idea to be like, hey, for those that are in a small town area and they're like, hey, I don't want to have to have a bike and it snows here a lot. So it'd be really nice if the cities and local towns, especially in the developed, especially the Treasure Valley area, which I can understand that, had a more robust kind of public transit system to kind of get around, including the general part of the state. 
And I could understand the reasoning and I've heard people say for like, hey, we need to cut down on the amount of single people in cars driving on the freeway. If we had better busing services or a train service or something, then there would be less cars having to move through on the freeway and that would be good for everyone. I see that argument. But on the other hand, there's a part of me and maybe I'm not the only Idahoan. Let me know if you are someone that agrees with me here. I don't like the idea of public transit. Like... The idea of having my car gives me a certain amount of freedom to kind of drive and go where I want rather than we've seen more and more lately with governments. I I doubt that it would happen in Idaho, but I could totally see where Brad Little's like, oh, yeah, we need to, you know, be careful with our funding and take some federal dollars, but then have some strings attached that um, they could use the different busing and transportating services to be like, well, if you have this political leaning or whatever else, then you can't have your pass to get on the bus or whatever else and yada, yada. And I'd be like, oh, come on. And that just kind of bothers me. I know in big cities that you know you kind of need it and stuff and I get it, but I don't know. It makes me wary. I like the idea of, you know, people have their cars, they can get around, they're their own kind of entities and they can move and they have a certain amount of freedom rather than trying to build this huge centralized and no one has their individual cars and we all for the greater good need to go on a public transit and all that. And I don't force people to do it. I, I don't like that. I mean, I don't think that would happen in Idaho, but you see other big cities where they're sitting there and yeah, you can have your own car, but to the point it's so expensive and traffic and I don't know. I don't have a solution per se for the traffic issues. I think that's a huge issue just around the world in general where you're sitting there and I'm hearing people in like California like, yeah, they built these massive freeways and they upgraded all this infrastructure and stuff, but yet there's still traffic jams and it's actually just easier to walk. Like it'd be three hours to drive somewhere, but you could walk there in like 30 minutes. Um, So yeah, I get that. I don't know exactly what the solution would be. My temptation, you know, is always to kind of lean back on history because I swear our forefathers kind of either had experience or had maybe some wisdom that we may have forgotten. And I think trains are the best solution for that. Don't make buses. It's just another thing on the freeway and they're clunky and they're going to cause more wrecks. And I don't think they're the answer. Um, But have trains that move between major areas. Like if you had a train that ran from, you know, Caldwell, maybe a little further out, I don't know where you do uh, cut the line off there, but Caldwell, Nampa, Meridian, Eagle, Boise, that was kind of this train that moved uh, a huge amount of people between each one of the cities, right? And then each one of the towns has kind of, uh, you know, those rental things like line bikes or whatever, that when you get off the train, it's easy for you to get around or affordable taxi services or whatever. Um, I think that's the best way, in my opinion, because I could understand like the freeway thing where it's like, hey, we need to cut down on the load. So, okay, cool. You know, we'll try to move a huge amount of people on trains. The trains can move people between big cities. Once they get into the city or the town that they want to get into, then private individuals can pay. You know, capitalism can do its thing. People will have taxi services or they can, if it's good weather, they can uh, rent one of the line bikes or whatever to get around town. And I think personally, that's a better way to do it. If I were to try to come with theory, if I was on like one of these boards to try to invest in that, because we've seen in California um, them trying to build bigger roads and bigger freeways just doesn't answer those solution rather than over in Europe, which is highly um, populated compared to the United States. They have a really robust train network and I'm not saying they don't have traffic over there. And you see it even in the past um, trains and that form of transportation, one for safety has been pretty reliable 
and also does a great job of moving a lot of people in the most efficient manner, in my opinion. Um, but once you get into towns, don't use trains to get people around towns per se. Because then you see New York where they put all the subways and they work, but they kind of don't work. And I don't know. And then the amount of money they're spending and I go back and forth on that. But anywho, with that said, you know, me rambling about my theories and not really having any solution. What are your, your guys' thoughts? What would be the best way to kind of address that? Do you like this plan? Are you going to give some feedback to him? Let me know because it. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. And already we made it to the end of it. I said it was going to be a bit more of a shorter thing for the main stories. We have our last one and our fun one, Idaho's oldest building and fruit. This comes from the Boise Dev by Ann Daly. For this week's fun Idaho fact, we'll be talking about the oldest building in Idaho. It is the Mission of Sacred Heart. It's located in Cotaldo. Hopefully I'm saying that right, Idaho. About a 30-minute drive from Coeur d'Alene. The Mission of the Sacred Heart was constructed by Catholic missionaries and members of the Coeur d'Alene tribe between 1850 and 1853. It was built without any nails, using wooden pegs to hold the lumber together. The stones on the foundation were all shaped and put in place by hand. Also, one of the most interesting facts for me anyways about the mission is that the ceilings inside are blue, not because they're painted blue with like a paint or something, but because they were stained with the juice of the state fruit, the huckleberry. The Coeur Lane people used huckleberries for food, medicine, and dyes, among other things. Throughout its existence, the mission has served multiple purposes. It was a place of worship for Native people, a gathering place for treaties to be signed, and hospitality and supply station for settlers, miners, and for the military. Today, the mission is visited annually in tribal celebration and serves as an ancestral homeland. It is also the most visited heritage park in the state of Idaho which I had no idea about this building at all until I saw this article from the Boise Dev. I will admit the footage of where it is at, or not footage, I should say, the photo that the Boise Dev has for it, it looks really, really pretty. I kind of really want to go up there and see it. Hopefully they like allow tours at certain times and things. But that I thought that was a really cool nod that they used huckleberries. I mean, of course, at the time, they didn't know that the huckleberry was going to become the state fruit. But but it's kind of interesting how I would swear God does that sometimes, that he likes to play a little irony humor, shall we say, where he's like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Let's go with this. This is going to be kind of funny. Let's have a little bit of a chuckle here, right? <laughs> and decides to play a little bit of some humorous games there because no no human could have planned that. I mean, they could have sat there and said, hey, yeah, you know, there's a lot of huckleberries and they're kind of here in Idaho. So let's go with the huckleberry because there's a high chance that might become the state fruit or whatever. But in any case, I'm really curious what it looks like. They didn't show any photos um, on the uh, Boise Dev of like the inside per se. Um, I have no doubt it's gorgeous, but it's kind of crazy how with like the building stuff coming back around without them using any nails, um, how in the modern age, there are certain ways we think that we have to do things like, yeah, you got to nail it and you got to do that. And it's got to be a chemical to do this and that. And I think with a lot more of the natural things, I mean, some people go off the deep end with it with crystals and stuff, but I think we're learning more and more within our society, or not learning, I think rediscovering is more the accurate term, um, that our ancestors and those that lived um, before us, they weren't all stupid. <laughs> they actually had some really smart things and we could learn from it. Not to say that we should build houses with wooden pegs. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I th That's a debate to be had. Um, but a lot of these different things like 
you see over in England, I think, and it's kind of coming here to America in some cities, having like natural roofs. So, hey, you don't have to change singles. The roof is literally a sod roof of grass. And maybe you have to go cut it or whatever, but you never really have to worry about changing your shingles or putting up expensive slate or something on your roof and different things where I think we could learn a lot from the past that, you know, you don't need to as the Amer- as Americans, we do sometimes, you don't need to brute force it and be like, I want this to be completely right. And then we use a bunch of chemicals to like stain the side of the house. Like, no, no, let's think a little smarter here about how to do this, not just brute forcing it with chemicals and engineering and different things. There might actually be a more efficient method to do that with the tools that God has given us in creation. With that said, I'm the first one to admit, I love modern medicine in the sense that... Um, if I'm sitting there and I'm dying and stuff, uh, modern medicine is really, really good at uh, doling that pain and kind of hitting some of those hard-hitting diseases and stuff. I mean, the medical industry or the pharmaceutical industry has its woes and stuff, but I will far take um, antibiotics when I need them compared to some naturopathic things sometimes. There's everything in its place. It has a place. We have to use it with moderation, care, and understanding, shall we say. But still, really, really cool. If any of you guys are up in Coeur d'Alene, you should go check it out. If you really like it, take a photo and kind of at me on Twitter or send it over and I'll po- repost it over on Twitter or whatever else. Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys can, are able to go visit or if you're up north and you didn't know about it, now you do. Seems like a really good place to go check out. Now, moving into the quickies with our first story here. St. Luke's opens its first urgent care in McCall. This comes by the Boise Deb by Autumn Robertson's. So, guys up there are getting your first urgent care clinic. Woohoo! The clinic is located in the newly remodeled Allen Noak Center on the St. Luke's McCall campus. It will operate seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and will be walk-in only. Quote, we are excited to be opening soon, end quote, said St. Luke's McCall Chief Operating and Nursing Official Amber Green. Quote, we know how important it is to have urgent care services available to our community, end quote. Board-certified family medicine physicians and nurse practitioners will staff the urgent care clinic. They'll also be able to treat various conditions, including minor injuries, illnesses, and infections. The clinic will also have an x-ray, lab tests, and casting services. Green said the clinic is expected to serve about 8,000 people annually. She also said that they will be able to help reduce the number of unnecessary emergency room visits. The urgent care clinic is the result of a partnership between St. Luke's McCall and the McCall Memorial Hospital District. The hospital district committed $2.6 million to the project, and the St. Luke's McCall Foundation raised over $730,000 to go with it. Quote, being able to open the urgent care clinic this year is because of the amazing support we received from the McCall Memorial Hospital District and the St. Luke's McCall Foundation for funding this project. Green said, the St. Luke's capital improvement investment in McCall has been on the hospital expansion project. We likely would have had to wait a few more years if it wasn't for the district and the foundation, end quote. 
Next story we have here is for the kids. When's the Lego store opening? This comes by the Boise Dev by Autumn Robertsons. Earlier this year, we talked about the Lego company's plans to open a store at the Village in Meridian. Well, for those waiting on the edge of their seats for an update, here it comes from the Boise Dev. The store opened its doors these last Friday, August 12th. For those that didn't hear the first story... The store has a variety of Lego sets and several in-store experience activities, such as events and features including a pick and build area, toy specialists, building challenges, and a mini tower building. One of the coolest things that the Lego store offers is a, quote, pick apart service where you can buy an individual Lego brick or part and pay based on the weight, not on the part. Quote, the Lego store at the Village of Meridian will deliver an immersive Lego brand experience with a wide product assortment, hands-on building experiences for our customers, exclusive promotions, and fun events held in the store with an amazing staff, end quote, said Travis Blue, the vice president of American Brands retail store Lego Group said, quote, shoppers and children will encounter friendly and engaging brick specialists, unique Lego experiences like our build a minifigure tower, pick and build wall, and plenty of inspiration, end quote. For the grand opening, the Lego store is running a promotion all month, including a free tote with any purchase. The promotion will be available from August 14th to the 20th. For context, there are over 800 stores operated by Lego Worldwide, and as many of you know and have figured out, this is the first one in Idaho. Moving into the next one here and keeping with kids, Idaho Public School gets a grant for security improvement. This comes by KTVB7 by Abby Davis. The Idaho State Board of Education has started distributing the $20 million in school safety grants that were allocated by state lawmakers this last legislative session. The money will be used for, quote, durable and meaningful changes to the school security system, end quote, such as fixing doors, fencing, surveillance equipment, and fire alarm systems. Systems. Each school can get up to 20000 in grant money, but districts have to apply for funding before the beginning of October. So far, the state board has received about 60 applications and approved over $20 million in those. The Boise School District received a little over 860000 in grant money. Spokesperson Dan Holler said the district plans to use the money to improve mobile communication between schools in the case of emergency, increase security measures at certain entrances, and to revamp alarm and video surveillance systems. Quote, this will help us to improve those older buildings, continue to monitor those safety and security procedures, and to make improvements where needed to, said Holler. Also, the Caldwell-based Valley View School District also received a grant for about 600000 Spokesperson Joey Palmer said every school in the district now has the security system built into the front of the buildings, and they're using the grant money to add fencing to all their schools. Quote, we're just thankful that we have the funding available to upgrade our building and to keep our kids safe, said Palmer. Huller said improving safety measures has been a big priority for educators over the last few years. He believes it takes the whole community to ensure student and staff are safe. Where that said, not all of Idaho's roughly 800 schools would need the grant money since newer schools are more likely to have better safety features already built in. Next, we have Program to Help Law Enforcement Buy Homes. This comes by East Idaho News by Kamala Hines. 
So if you're scratching your head about the title of the story, you're not alone. The Greater Idaho Falls Police Foundation, or GIFPF, probably not going to go with that there, but hey, that's the acronym, has launched a new pilot program called the Down Payment Assistant Fund. The program provides eligible officers with $6,500 in grants towards a down payment on a home. The Idaho Falls Police Foundation board member Carlin McDaniel said the program came about after the board was looking for ways to help local law enforcement. Quote, we're looking for ways that banks specifically could help police departments and therefore help police officers, he said. The Greater Idaho Falls Police Foundation partnered with Federal Home Loans Banks of Des Moines to create the fund. The bank's member impact fund offers to match money created for eligible foundations with donations from several local banks and branches. GIFPF has created a fund for more than $70,000. With that said, the fund is now available for officers in Bingham, Bonnerville, and Jefferson counties. To be eligible, officers must meet certain income requirements. The GIFPF expects the full $70,000 fund to be used in the next year, but the program could continue if additional donations are received. Anyone interested in donating, you can do so on their website. The foundation was launched in 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic as a way to support local law enforcement. The foundation also provides equipment, mental health resources, grants, and training to local law enforcement agencies. In conclusion, this is banks and private donors trying to do something to give back to their local law enforcement and help them out. Looks like a very cool and interesting idea, and I hope it works out well for them. Keeping with the law enforcement theme, four-hour standoff in Salmon. This comes by East Idaho News by Nate Eaton. So this last week, there was a bit of a standoff between law enforcement in Salmon and an armed man. The standoff began around 1.10 p.m. Thursday when the Salmon Police Department was responding to a complaint about a tenant destroying the inside of an apartment he was renting on South Street, Charles Street. Officers arrived and heard the tenant, quote, manipulating a firearm, end quote. They moved to a safe location and tried to speak with the man, quote, noise came from the apartment indicating the man was destroying property and possibly barricading himself in the apartment, end quote. The news release from the Lemhi County Sheriff's Office says additional law enforcement utilized salmon search and rescue and salmon fire to assist in securing a perimeter. The man refused to cooperate with law enforcement, so the Bonnerville County Sheriff's Office tactical response team was called. An arrest warrant was issued. Quote, they deployed an armed vehicle equipped with several tools, which assisted in taking the man into custody without any further incidences. The release says the situation ended around 6.30 p.m., and the man was booked into the Lemhi County Jail on multiple charges, including being a felon in possession of a stolen firearm. The Lemhi County Sheriff's Office is grateful for the cooperative efforts of law enforcement agencies involved in the incident. They are also grateful to the residents of Salmon for their patience and understanding during that time. Also, keeping with law enforcement still, I swear, I'm not trying to pick all the bad ones. I just thought I'd just lump them in here, shall we say, in this specific little spot. Man crashes into Papa Murphy's in Rigby. This comes by the East Idaho News by Andrea Olson. Keeping with the law enforcement and violent theme in eastern Idaho, a 23-year-old man was transported to a local hospital after crashing into a Papa Murphy's Friday morning in Rigby. 
Officers from the Rigby Police Department responded to a crash around 1.40 a.m. off 200 East Main Street in Rigby. Quote, a vehicle was traveling southbound on Farnsworth Way at a high rate of speed and missed a corner and hit a streetlight, then continuing through the parking lot at Papa Murphy's and went into the front side of the building, end quote, said the Rigby Police Chief Alan Fulmer to East Idaho News. Fulmer said that there was only one person inside the vehicle and he was transported by Idaho Falls Ambulance to the Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center with non-life-threatening injuries. Colton Jensen, a manager at Papa Murphy's, said he was called into work around 2 a.m. and found a hole in the side of the building. He told East Idaho News that the business is closed for the foreseeable future. Fulmer said that there is an extensive amount of damage at Papa Murphy's building, but thankfully no one was inside the building at the time. Quote, we suspect alcohol was involved, but the investigation is continuing, said Fulmer. And lastly, for our last quickie here, we have Idaho Tourism Soars. This comes by the Bonner County Daily Bee by Devin Weeks. So moving more northernly, sounds like tourism is going well up there. The Idaho's Traveler Council announced Wednesday that it had awarded nearly $2 million to tourism nonprofits in northern Idaho to market their towns, cities, and regions as a travel destination. The Coeur d'Alene Convention and Visitor Bureau received the most of any entity in Region 1, which includes the five northern counties of Boundary, Bonner, Kootenai, Shoshone, and Benoit. The CVB will use much of the funds to promote northern Idaho in the off-season of fall and spring and emphasize winter activities and events. The Northern Idaho Tourism Alliance also received a significant grant of $25,000. The alliance works to promote visitor experiences across the five northern counties. Risha Lasko, executive director of the Northern Idaho Tourism Alliance, said her organization is thrilled to be receiving the phones, quote, it really represents all the hard work our small communities are doing to help promote tourism, end quote. The Alliance just launched a new tagline, quote, 50 miles wide with thousands of adventures, end quote, which acknowledges how Idaho's panhandle is physically narrow with countless wonders to be discovered between state lines. Another initiative that the Alliance is conducting is Travel with Care. Another initiative that the Alliance is conducting is Travel with Care, which encourages guests to be respectful of Idaho's wildernesses. The Post Falls Chamber of Commerce President and CEO, Christiana Petit, said that 139900 was granted to her chamber. Received is 9% more than they received last year. She said that Post Falls was also recently recognized by the state of Idaho for being the fastest growing tourism community in the Gem State. With that said, also in Region 1, the Greater Sandpoint Chamber of Commerce received $248,051.46 in grant funding from the Idaho Travel Council. With that said, thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. If I missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to me via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting me at localyokelidaho. As a one-man show, I'm not able to cover everything, but I do my best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed.